This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm Chris Abel, and this is the Innovation Cafe on What She Said. Normally in this series, we have conversations with people representing the land of the living. But this week, we've got a bit of a twist. We're throwing the spotlight on an ancient Viking. For 130 years, there's a set of bones that have been known to science as the Burka warrior, and it's been assumed that they belonged to a high-ranking male chieftain. But rather interestingly, new DNA research has revealed that he is actually a she. And so now the debate in science is whether or not she can still be considered a warrior or not. To help take you through this discussion, I'm speaking with Dr. Craig Sipola, archaeologist at the Royal Ontario Museum and curator of a new exhibit called Vikings, the Exhibition, which includes a number of belongings of the Burka warrior. Outside of the world of science, this couldn't have come at a better time. The popularity of the TV series Game of Thrones, in particular the character Brienne of Tarth, played by Gwendolyn Christie, has made it all too easy for the average person to imagine a tall, Nordic woman with blonde hair and blue eyes sitting astride a rather intimidating warhorse with a long broadsword hanging off her belt. The runaway success of Wonder Woman with its Amazons has lured a lot of people to take a look at the stories that Vikings told each other of shield maidens and to debate whether that might be a little more fact than fiction. If you go and visit the exhibit at the museum, you'll find a beautiful display case with a number of belongings of the Burka warrior. You can take a look at her broadsword, at her axe, her spearheads, at the ice spikes that she had for her horse. You can take a look at the gilded bronze brooch that she wore, which is quite beautiful, and decide for yourself, was she actually a warrior? Or as some suggest, was she merely buried with the respect and status of one? This was a grave context that was dug in Burka, Sweden in the late 19th century. That's actually an important time period to emphasize. So that's, it's, it's at the level of archaeology of the late 19th century, so not quite modern techniques. And that's why some people are calling this into question. And so in my understanding, in, throughout the 20th century, people looked at the actual the morphology of that skeleton that was associated with that grave. And by looking at the pelvis and sometimes the chin, you can most likely guess biological sex. And so there was this idea that, well, this is strange. We have what we think are a set of an assemblage of weaponry that would be associated with a warrior. We only associate that with males, but the skeleton actually has qualities that make it look morphologically like it might be female. And so that wasn't actually as revolutionary as you would have thought in September when the actual peer-reviewed study was published on the DNA work on several different samples of human remain from that, um, that context, that it came up as absolutely female. No one's actually contesting it on those grounds. <laughs> that, 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 that skeletal material that was tested is absolutely female. But some have come back and said, well, since this was dug in the late 19th century, and it wasn't using modern archaeological techniques, it was done by a work crew rather than an archaeological team like we would do now in the present. Uh, maybe the stuff that was tested, maybe it came from a different grave, or maybe there's more than one individual in that tomb 
that the debate goes on in that sense because we can't actually go back in time to the late 19th century and figure out did they actually mix up the bones. Right. What I do often point out uh, when this debate is raised is very rarely when we have a grave, a, you know, a Viking grave that is male, looks male, and has, has the tools, they don't do the DNA analysis because it supports what they expect to find. Right. So, so that's a really interesting. I think it's really about us and our different hang-ups in, in modern society. I think, it's, I, I think anthropology, archaeology is all about the people doing the analysis and learning about themselves, about what they're looking at. Yeah. Person, that's my personal take. So, so, I mean, one of the things that I, I would always call into question here is even before we talk about biological sex or gender, we need to unpack the assumptions built into when we dig up a, a grave context and there's a person plus weaponry, why we automatically think that that's absolutely the grave of a warrior. Because there's many different, you know, the dead don't bury themselves is the, is the saying that many archaeologists will tell you, you know, because obviously, uh, usually the dead don't make that decision of what to take to the grave with them. It's their relatives, it's the community. Sometimes a sword, even though it has a functionality in war, it could be symbolic for other reasons. Most likely it could be a warrior, but <laughs> there, there's questions there. There's assumptions there that we don't choose, to, you know, we don't choose to attack those assumptions. Personally, and I'm not someone who works in Viking sites in, in that part of the world, but uh, I think based on what we have, I think it's okay to, to discuss it as a female Viking warrior and, and sort of leave it open and, and maybe go forward and as you, you discover more archaeological finds, you'll be very careful with those, of course, in the future, and, and maybe we'll find more evidence or, or who knows. If it's all about us in the present, and I think for the large part, archaeology is about us. It's about us sort of, it's like a, it's a metaphorical mirror for our own society and our own hang-ups. And I think if it's about, if it's about that, then, you know, I think pragmatically, it's okay to have a female Viking warrior. It's okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I agree. This isn't a newly discovered grave. Nope. It sounds like it, though, it's in the news. No. And so that's the issue that you're talking about, is that this is something that was a grave processed a long time ago. You're saying collected. The 19th yeah, it was collected a long time ago. Uh, and, and again, the people that did the DNA most recently, they're not the first people to assume or to, to, to question the, the biological sex of this individual. So just used, using skeletal morphology, uh, people had, had said, well, that doesn't look actually male. Right. So, because the pelvis in particular has a very different shape for males I, versus females. I did wonder about that, because that's kind of like Anthropology 101. A student's going into sure. school, they're given bones and said, tell us this is male or female. So it, sure. it seemed a bit unusual when the news finally sure, came out. Sure, sure. So, so again, that's a, that's a case where with the peer-reviewed scientific stuff, I mean, obviously it's quite important to say, well, we have DNA, we have this new type of evidence. That's one thing, but then when it gets picked up by the news media, it usually, maybe they sort of don't pay attention <laughs> to the history of those associations and where we, right. how we got to that point. Yeah. And so... Um, and this is a case yeah. that, you know, people are working with somebody else's work. Absolutely. That they've done Absolutely. a long time ago. Yeah. It was of that age. Sure. You know, uh, there are different sort of prejudices of that time, and it's so the case is trying to unpack that today. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Obviously, if this had been a grave that had just been discovered, yeah. and you were using modern-day oh, techniques, yeah. then the certainty from yeah, a scientific yeah. point of view would be much higher. Absolutely, absolutely. Gotcha. Yep, okay. absolutely. And then, and so, so I think it's actually, um, I think it's good to have it sort of uh, that it's, the debate goes on. Yeah. I, I think it's because maybe the most important thing is that we're discussing why this is this this sort of shakes our world and challenges us in new ways. I think that's the most exciting part about archaeology is when you have an unanswered question and you leave it unanswered and you just want to talk about it. 
Uh, and that's what we're doing here. And so, so even if we don't, we can't say absolutely female Viking warrior or male Viking warrior. Why? Why do we want to know? And why do we want it to be one and not the other? That's really the interesting question, right? And that's yeah. the question that we have to have, the debate that we have to have. Well, and I think for people who aren't scientists, who are just a museum geek like myself, sure. or who just heard about the story and taking an interest, there is always that issue that there is the standards of scientific evidence for the scientific community, which is yeah. extremely, extremely high. Sure. But for the average person coming sure. in, a DNA test, that's enough to feel <laughs> yeah, quite yeah, certain yeah. Yeah. that, yes, right. the bones that you're looking at, those are, are female bones, that's yep. a female skeleton. Well, there's no question on that, okay. by the way. There's no question that this, the stuff that is tested is absolutely female. I don't think anyone's going to uh, you know, challenge that. It's that now they're saying, well, maybe this female skeleton came from a, the grave next door or something else. So that's the thing that they're challenging. Really. And I guess the impact there is that if the new interpretation of this grave is taken to that extent, then it affects all the graves that have been yeah, found. That's because true. now there are Go back and warrior men who you no longer can assume were warriors because they were buried with swords or yeah, yeah, that's regalia, true. things that's like true. that. Not to say that that's not a very good set of clues. It's just to say that we don't want to create a universal law that we apply to every burial. That If you find a sword, we know that this person right. is a warrior. If my loved ones, I, I like to think of it this way, if my loved ones had to bury me, if my, my children, <laughs> they would put things in there that I obviously, that was important to them maybe, and I have no connection to, like a, like a doll or something. You know, one of my daughters could put in one of her dolls or something because, you know, she wants me to have it because it's important to her. She thinks it's important to me, but that doesn't mean it means anything about me right. directly. So it's the same kind of sort of idea, I think. So yeah. it's a case that we know that she was given a status, but that status may have been interpreted well, this, this by individual themselves. was Yeah, that's right. This individual. And, and it's, sometimes it's not about that person's identity. It's about, a, it's about a, the community that's putting that person to rest. And, and what's important to them. So, so we just have to be careful when we look at these things because again, going back to that really simple saying, right. the dead don't bury themselves. <laughs> and and here's, another, here's another saying, uh, archeology span is controlled destruction. So, so when you take apart an archeological site, the reason why we keep really good nodes and we take all kinds of, all kinds of mapping points is because we know we can never get back to that original context. And that's also the case in this 19th century excavation. We can never get back there. We, we're not going to ever find one more document, or uh, most likely, or, or some new data that tells us exactly what they found in that grave. We know what we know now, and we have to move on. But I think that's OK. I think yeah. it's OK. I, I, I'm fine with not, I don't need everything to be certain in my life. I think it's good <laughs> to have questions. And that's what archaeologists do. We, have, we like to, to question it, uh, everything. And, and so, yeah. Well, for those who are listening, who are obviously going to want to come up with their own interpretation. Sure, sure. So help me create a, a picture of this woman, as well as her grave, because we're not talking about a grave the way that most people think of. This is not yeah. just a body that's lying no, horizontal, no, no, no. six feet underground. Nope, nope. It's, it's much, sure. much more impressive. Oh, well, okay. Well, and that actually, one of the themes of, of this exhibition is to allow our visitors to engage with the, a very different group of people from, from us today, right? And so you probably would think it was quite odd if you're, um, if someone, one of your loved ones died or, or, or the mayor of your town died and you sacrificed two horses. <laughs> but of course, uh, this individual is buried with two sacrificed horses. And you can actually look over there later. There's some sacrificed animals from burials and things. And that was quite common in the Viking world. And this person is laid to rest with a whole collection of artifacts, which you can view over in the case, but most notably a sword, axes, horse hardware, 
And some of this is to prepare that person possibly for the next stage of their existence. And in the Viking sort of ontology, the Viking world at that time, it's, it's to go to a new, the new the another, another plane of existence in, in a sense, and to be able to travel to that plane. Two horses. That's huge. So we're not talking yeah. about, you know, like a graveyard. It almost no. sounds like um, a, tomb, yeah. a tomb like the Egyptians we often associate with them. This is, I guess, what they call a mound or, you know, would um, it be like a hillside? Or? It, well, there are mound burials. I'm not certain if Burka was a mound. So that's actually a series of mound burials in Sweden. I'm not certain about what it looked like on top. Again, it's late 19th century, so I'm not sure how they approached it. But in sort of modern Western times, we think of cemeteries as like next to a church or something. Uh-huh. That was not happening uh, early on. Uh, later in the, about the 11th century, Vikings did start, they were Christian or starting to become Christian. And they did start to do that, bury uh, near churches and things. But before that, they would bury typically near a farm. That actually image that is in the exhibition of a series of mounds is, is next to a, a Viking farm. So it's your, your ancestors are with you on that farm. So this would have been an event, a big event where everyone comes together and it's a spectacle. And, and you remember that individual, not only through who they, what they did in life most likely, but about that event saying goodbye and putting them to rest to the next for the next world. Right. It probably yeah. would have been not quite a party, but you're, you're talking about almost a, a miniature festival. That's something it could, that would have it continued could be, for it days. Could be. We don't know for sure because we don't necessarily have archaeological evidence for feasting <laughs> or anything, but certainly other burial contexts in other cultures, they do have that. Absolutely. So what's going to be happening moving forward in terms of uh, this particular skeleton, this particular tomb? Will there be additional studies? I know that people who have studied skeletons can tell by the way that the muscles change your bones over life yep. in terms of what you've done. And often, you know, we, do, we identify archers mm-hmm. based on that. Will yep. there be those kinds of studies done on her to see if she did wield a sword or uh, did ride a horse? Or... That would be up to that research team in Stockholm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not directly involved in the research. That, that is absolutely possible to look at, um, you know, uh, how muscle tissue uh, changes with different types of activities in your life. And certainly we have examples of that, like hard work. You can see a skeleton uh, that, where they did a lot of hard work over there. So it is a possibility, but I don't know of any specific plans in that regard. But I think in general, there's still a lot of interesting work to be done on sort of skeletal analysis in Viking society. One of the things that I think is a really interesting possibility is to look at the unfree. We could say slaves, that would be accurate, but I don't want you to map on your like an 18th or 19th century idea of what a slave is. But th- there were clearly groups of people in Viking societies that were unfree. They could have been captured. They could have been outsiders that were captured. They actually could be insiders that did something. And that wasn't a status that was necessarily permanent, as you probably think in your sort of like looking at 18th or 19th century versions of what slavery right, is. Right, yes. But basically looking at their lives and maybe looking more at uh, using the archaeology to tell us about, you know, bioarchaeology to tell us about their lives and the, the amount of work they did and things like that would be quite interesting. Again, I'm not directly involved in that work, but it's, it's really interesting to think about, certainly. Yeah. Well, and I guess for us in the present day, because there is a lot of attention paid to how often we have female leaders, whether it be presidents or prime ministers, not understanding that when you look back in the past, there were civilizations that did have female leaders, much like in Egypt. And so I guess that becomes 
an interesting focus when we start to talk about the role of women in the Viking culture uh, and this particular burial and things like the shield maidens and you know what was a story and what was actually fact. Yeah, and I think that's what that's what we do as archaeologists. So what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do as an archaeologist, is to sort of take your sort of modernist, post-enlightenment view of the world that's largely Euro European centric. And I want to take it and I want to shake it until it falls apart. Or you, or you challenge one part of that. And one of those things is uh, related to that is this idea that there are two genders. Okay, so there's many groups around the world historically that have multiple genders. So where I work in the US, Native American stuff, out west there's three genders. There's male, female, and two-spirit. And that's certainly the case. So, so again, just, just looking at the Viking case in, in, in that sense, like, well, maybe this is another gender. It's a, it's a female Viking. I think that's what we do as archaeologists. We try to challenge those things that you never think about. Is like, right. Yeah. And I think that's what the Viking warrior does for us, certainly. And I guess that's a good advantage in terms of trying to get people to take an interest in history. Absolutely. Because it allows you to kind of interpret. Again, there was an exhibit here at the ROM about uh, the samurai who would uh, yep. go through a period of being very feminine. And we also had third gender, third yes. gender exhibit. So, so yeah, absolutely. It relates. Now, in terms of uh, your experience, have you seen a lot of interest in the Burka Warrior? Does it change the way that you get to talk about the Vikings to a public? Uh, I think absolutely. And it's their opportunity to come and look in this case and see those objects. And they can think about what they've read about. And, and it just gives you an opportunity to be part of that interpretation. You, you can have your own interpretation. And you can see it right in front of your, your eyes, this thing that was discussed and still debated in the news right now. And so I think that's absolutely very important for us to point out as a museum because that's what we want. We don't want to just create one single narrative where people come and they take our narrative and they say, okay, I agree exactly what you say. I'm going to take that home. It's about having multiple different perspectives on these issues. And I think, uh, especially in the Vikings in Canada, there's a lot of open-ended questions there. That's the kind of thing we love here. We want to have those uh, multiple, that diversity of interpretation. That's another thing that makes archaeology really interesting <laughs> is not everyone agrees on what you're looking at, right? So, so yeah, uh, that's quite important for the show. I mean, it's great because it's always a discussion. It's not really back and forth and today's society tends to be very polarized very divisive yeah. that's not the case here in science this is no. really sort of passionate discussion yeah, imagination absolutely. going crazy yeah it's yeah. yeah absolutely so for those that come to your exhibit and they see the objects that you have from the Burke grave what should people be paying attention to what should people be looking at you've got hmm. a wonderful sword a brooch well you have to consider the case and the multiple different angles and then just keep in mind that these are this is the assemblage of objects that that the scientists are looking at as well. You can start to think about your world and the, the objects you have around you and how that would tell a future archeologist if you were a male or a female or what gender you were. In the end, you're gonna conclude that it's very difficult to do that. And I think that's part of the ambiguity that's so beautiful about, you know, there's a series of swords and other things in there uh, uh, to make that decision on your own is, is objects don't tell us who we are. They're part of who we are, but they don't determine who we are, and they're not, certainly, it's not a final interpretation. It's always fluid. And I think that's really what it's all about, sort of. What would it be like in your world if you picked up that sword out of that case, and you, you had it with you all the time? Would it change you? Or, I don't know. This is a question for, for the masses, not for me. <laughs> Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga, it's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at averyrich.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.